You're listening to episode 119 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. Breaking the stigma around mental health is so important, and this week's guest has made it part of her mission. Jessie Beyer is a speaker, author, and mental health advocate. Jessie believes that discussions are the missing ingredient in removing the stigma around mental health. Because of this, she is on a mission to help those around her feel valid, heard, and appreciated in their mental health struggles and know that they are not alone. Before we meet Jessie, I had an audience member leave feedback that I wanted to highlight and touch on. It was through a review on Apple Podcasts about my intro music being too loud when listening with earbuds. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I am so serious. I adjusted the audio. I really hope it helps. I don't listen to the podcast and playback with my earbuds in. Maybe I should, um, but I had no idea it was too loud. So I really thank you for bringing that to my attention. If it is still too loud, hit me up on social media. Let me know. I will adjust it again. I love constructive feedback. I'm always looking to grow. Please reach out to me if you have something that you think will, will enhance the show and enhance your listening experience. Okay, now that we've touched on that, I think it's time that you meet Jesse. You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is Jessie Byer. Jessie is a speaker, author, and mental health advocate on a mission to help those around here feel valid, heard, and appreciated in their mental health struggles and design lives that they love waking up to. Hey, Jessie, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You know, I just have to give you a quick shout out for being flexible and full of grace. I had to reschedule our original conversation a little last minute while I worked out more of a solid distance learning schedule with my kids. So again, thank you. No worries. I mean, my mom's a teacher and so I've seen her adjust and her family's adjust to online learning. So I totally understand. Oh man. So you are like, you've, you're seeing it and she's experiencing it. I can't even imagine <laughs> the other hand. end. I am like, man, teachers, you guys make the world go round. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good for her because she's already set up on Google classroom. So she knows how to use that, but it's definitely been like, Jesse, how do I upload a YouTube video? How do I do this? How do I do that? So it's been a ride for sure. I love it. Well, before I hit you with all of my many questions, I'd love to just learn more about your journey and what drove you to speaking and choosing mental health as your focus. Yeah, absolutely. So just kind of a one-line bio here. I'm a speaker, author, and mental health advocate. And my journey with mental health really started when I was in high school and was really struggling with my mental health. I mean, I was depressed. I was self-harming. I was really struggling with food and my body and things like that. And I was also in a really codependent relationship with someone else who was also struggling with his mental health. Now, this relationship ended with his suicide attempt and my prevention of it. But that whole time was just very traumatic, very emotional, obviously a very difficult time in my life. As I started to heal from that and learn from that and grow from that, I realized how many other people were struggling. I mean, when you're in the trenches, you're in your own trenches, but when you're able to get up and look in, you're like, whoa, everyone is struggling with this on some level. And I saw the impact that conversations could have. Just me sitting there and saying, hey, 
I've been through this. I'm okay to talk about it. And I'm here if you need me, that could make such a profound difference on someone else's life and their perception Mm -hmm. of their own story. And that really drove me to be like, okay, well, I'm a good writer. I can write about stuff like this and I can have conversations about this. And then that turned into, you know, bigger and bigger presentations until I'm at the point where I am today, where I travel to colleges and different, um, you know, like professional organizations and things like that to speak about mental health and share my story and just let people know that you're not broken. You're not weak because you struggled with your mental health and it's okay to stand up and share your story and ask for help. If that's something you need at this time. Mm, what a powerful narrative. I love that. I love that you're focused. And this is also so relevant, I feel like, right now, because as we're in the midst of this pandemic, I think those who I would consider light workers and healers were being called to service. And I think many people are still trying to find their place of service, but really service can be as minimal as and as powerful, I think, as just supporting someone. What do you think the first steps are when it comes to supporting someone who is struggling with their mental health? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. This whole time of being in isolation and having a global pandemic happening is bringing up so many things for people, whether it's aggravating current mental illnesses or like triggering trauma flashbacks and things like that. So it's definitely crazy. But the first step is something that takes place before you actually support them. And that's building that foundation of trust. If I just meet someone on the street, I'm not going to walk up to them and spill my life story, right? There needs to be that foundation of trust there. And that is built way before that person even comes to you to ask for support. It's built in showing up on time. It's built in doing the dishes when you said you do the dishes. It's built in remembering their birthday, right? It's all these little, little things that as that person recognizes, hey, you've been there for the little things, you've built that foundation of trust. Now I feel comfortable opening up to you. That's really that first piece that a lot of people don't understand. They just want to dive right in and be like, I'm here. Let me help you. And it's like, wait, we need to take a step back here. Right. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. And it makes so much sense. And what it sometimes I've noticed that when I'm on, <laughs> on an airplane, someone will just randomly start telling me so much about their life story. And then it's like, oh, is that a boundaries issue? You know, like where someone's like just almost like diarrhea mouth, <laughs> like, you know, just like <laughs> word vomiting, like everything to you. And you're like, whoa, like th- that was heavy. That was a lot because sometimes I feel like people can swing both ways, right? Like you may be able to just freely tell someone who doesn't know you versus telling someone who maybe you should be trusting. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Am I making sense? Yeah. I'm, no, you're totally making sense. Um, it's really interesting because I feel like people in those positions where they just sit down with a stranger and just get everything out, they're not as much looking for support as they are to literally just get it out mm. and have someone tell them that they're not crazy. Yeah. Right. I mean, thinking about your own experiences with those situations, I would guess that those people haven't then been like, can you help me? Can you be my long-term support system? Can you do this? It's more about just getting that out of their head right. conversation with someone, whether that's a smart idea or not. I feel like that's more of what they're going for in those situations. Yeah. Versus like support of like true needing you to like be there for them and like help them within this journey. Right. And I mean, you could definitely, you as the recipient of that word vomit could definitely handle that improperly and hurt them and cause more damage. But again, I don't think it's something where they're looking for some sort of long-term support, you know, ongoing, they can call you when they need to sort of thing. It just seems like it's that one time 
got to get it out sort of thing. Mm, Okay. So building trust is always the best foundation. Then what do we kind of move into? Mm -hmm. That's when people in their best interests tend to step over the line. They will try to really force support on the person. They'll try to dig their story out of the person. They'll try to be like, Hey, I know this great uh, meditation technique that you should try, or you need to go do this, that, and the other thing. And they're just trying to fix the person. The Mm. best approach to supporting someone is this process called holding the space. And basically what it means is that you are there for them, right? You're not trying to fix them. You're not judging them. You're not trying to force them to talk or force them to go to therapy. You are just accepting them and loving them exactly as they are. Now, I was speaking with a therapist um, to interview for the book that I wrote, and she told me a great story that really just illustrates this concept of holding the space. She was working with a young client. She's an equine-assisted therapist, so they were on a farm, which will mean something when I tell you about the dumpster, but they were on a farm, (laughs) (laughs) and they were playing hide-and-go-seek as part of the therapy, and this girl was like, hey, Sally. Sally's the therapist. She's like, hey, Sally, let's go hide in the dumpster, and so Sally's like, okay, whatever. And they climb in the dumpster and of course it's dark and it's smelly and there's something dripping over your left shoulder and it's just not a good place, right? And this girl looks at Sally and she says, hey Sal, this is kind of like life, isn't it? And that just smacked Sally in the face Mm. with the subtlety of a two by four because that was that girl's life. She was struggling with PTSD and that was her life. It was dark, it was smelly and she couldn't just get out whenever she wanted to. Sally, on the other hand, she could have gotten out whenever she wanted. That dumpster was not her life, right? But she chose to sit there in that darkness and in that discomfort with this girl and just say, I'm here. I hear you and I'm here for you and just be there with her. And that's really what holding the space is all about. Whoa, what a story. Dang. Yeah, I just got the goosebumps <laughs> after that one because that is so powerful. And that, you're right. That is an important step that we need to be more mindful of as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can be the most well-intentioned person on the planet, but if you come in with a sledgehammer ready to fight this person's mental health problems, that's not what they need. They mm-hmm. don't need to feel broken or weak or even more abnormal than they may already feel. They just need to be loved and heard. Yeah. And sometimes I think just as humans, we just want to fix, you know, just, mm-hmm. just fix things and, oh, it's a problem. Let's find a solution for it. And you know, as humans, we, that's not always what we need. We forget that about the emotions too. Mm-hmm. And that's something I did so poorly when I was in that relationship with that person in high school is I was the fixer. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to take your world. I'm going to put it on my shoulders. I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep you happy and keep you alive. And that was very detrimental for that's him. That's heavy. And you that's know, heavy. it was like, yeah, it's a, it's a weight that I shouldn't have to bear. I mean, that's not my responsibility. I can support him and I can be there for him, but his life is his and his choices are his. It does not reflect on my ability to love him or support him or anything like that. And it was a hard lesson to learn, but it's given me the insight and the wherewithal to be able to help other people so they don't get themselves in that position too. Yeah. And also just realizing that you can't own someone else's choices like mm-hmm. that is like, that's inner work all in itself. <laughs> it was, it was. Yes. I mean, when he tried to take his own life, everything that was going through my head, this is a little embarrassing to admit, but it was all about me. I was like, why wasn't I good enough for him to be alive for? What did I do mm-hmm. wrong? Why yeah. wasn't I enough for him to live for? And it took literally years for me to wrap my head around the concept that like, it's not about you, Jess. Like it is all about him and his struggles and his decisions. And it wasn't a reflection of my worth as a human, but that was a a huge lesson in and of itself too. 
Mm, yeah. Wow. That is, that's a powerful lesson as well. And just to also realize that sometimes, well, not, not sometimes, all the times, our worth is mm-hmm. not reflective upon someone else. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, that so, can go into so many different directions too. And I think so a lot of people ways. struggle with that in the sense of like, we've grown up with expectations from the day we were born. It was you know, the crazy uncle is like, I can tell she's smart already. She's going to be a lawyer or whatever that is. And then as you grow older, you're expected to fit into these standards that other people place on you. And then you kind of lose sight of who you are and where your worth is just as a human being. Oh, so true. So true. And then not to mention, we have all of these big T and little T traumas that happen to us over time. And sometimes we repress those and healing that is a journey of its own. So what are some ways that we can work through and release some of our traumas? Mm -hmm. Well, something to understand about trauma as opposed to other mental health conditions is that trauma has a very somatic piece. It's not just something that happens in your brain. There is a part of that trauma that is stored in your body as well. Therefore, oftentimes the best approaches to trauma healing are mind, body, or somatic therapies. Things that include movement, things that include being outdoors, things that include working with animals, as opposed to sitting in an office and doing a traditional form of talk therapy. Now, talk therapy is great, right? There's tons of research out there. There's tons of anecdotal stories about how effective it is. But for a lot of people, they are too uncomfortable to go to talk therapy because of the stigma, and therefore it's completely useless, right? If you're not even going to walk in the door, then it does absolutely nothing. So Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of natural and integrative therapies, things like ecotherapy, things like equine-assisted therapy, things like craniosacral therapy, these pieces that have a mind-body approach or they're using some sort of co-therapist like nature or a horse or a dog or something like that. Those are really, really powerful trauma therapies just because they pull at that root of ourselves and at that mind-body piece. Mm. Do you think sometimes talk therapy can be hard for someone because of that trust element? Um, you, you just touching on that whole trust element. When I, I guess I was a teenager, um, my mom took me to a therapist, and I remember, you know, like being this bratty seventeen-year-old at the time too. Like I sat there with my hands, you know, crossed, and I was like, "You don't know me," you know what I mean? It was just like, "How are you supposed to help me? You don't know me." And of course, like now, as an adult, I have this whole different aspect to it. But do you think me? like talk therapy, people struggle with that because they lack that trust aspect. You know, they haven't built that relationship with that person. Yeah, absolutely. I think it kind of touches on multiple things. But first of all, I completely relate to that. You don't know me feeling. I went to one day of talk therapy when I was in high school after this whole relationship. And I was so uncomfortable. I felt so unheard that I literally ran out of the building and never came back. Yeah, that's exactly exactly me. Like I like walked out. I remember looking at my mom too. Like, I can't even believe you took me here. (laughs) What are you thinking? (laughs) Yes. Oh, I so hear you. But anyway, with that trust piece, I think there's two parts to that. One, that trust piece is still critically important in a therapeutic professional relationship. And there's something that's actually called a therapeutic relationship. And it's basically the concept that trust between you and your therapist is built over time. Mm -hmm. If you're working with a good therapist, they recognize that and they're going to build that trust with you and slowly get deeper and deeper instead of expecting you to just completely divulge your whole story within that first session. That trust is definitely important. 
I think the second piece of that though, is that people think that you have to go into that first session and just bear it all. You know, that's not true if you're working with a good therapist. So yes, some of it is definitely that trust piece that people are uncomfortable with, but I think it's also a little bit of a misconception about what happens and how quickly things happen in therapy as well. Mm, so true. Yeah. Cause I feel like when I walked in, my, my perception was, you know, I'm, I'm carrying some like really heavy things right now. And now I have to unload it on you. Like there's too much backstory, you know what I mean? So that makes, that yeah. makes sense too. But that, of course, that was my perception and your perception is your reality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was funny. There's, there's a difference in therapy as well. Some therapists are diagnostic and some are non-diagnostic. So sometimes you'll get a diagnosis of a psychiatric disorder and sometimes that's not important to the therapist. So they won't give you one. But my therapy session that I went to in high school, I was in there for maybe 45 minutes. And at the end of the session, she literally looked at me and she's like, well, because I was 17 too. Um, She was like, yeah, I know. Perfect. Right. Uh, She's like, well, you didn't say anything that we need to tell your mom about. Slap me with a diagnosis. I'm just like, great. I'll see you next week. And I was like, what? You don't know me. Like I told you some of my story. I didn't trust you enough to tell you all of it. And you think that after 45 minutes, you can just slap me with a diagnosis and walk me out the door. I was like, absolutely not. I'm not okay with this. So yeah, there's definitely that trust piece. And I hear where you're coming from with some of that discomfort with talk therapy. Yeah. So interesting. I love, I love that you just touched on like movement as well as being so therapeutic. We forget to move our bodies. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because some of those natural and integrative therapies, there's not any evidence to back this up, but this is just what I and some other therapists think about that they tie into our very primal beings, the primal parts of ourselves when we move, when we're outdoors, when we're working with animals, that mm-hmm. really connects to kind of that ancestral piece of ourselves. And trauma does that too, because trauma is so primal, it is such an animalistic response. And so there's some kind of unofficial theories out there that that's why some of those therapies where you're moving and with nature and animals and things like that are oftentimes more effective than being in a very cognitive environment and sitting and talking about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. I love it. Well, let's pivot just a little bit. I know right now we have so many people at home and they could be getting this realization about their life and maybe it doesn't look the way they want it to and they're kind of having that oh shit moment that they need to make a change in their career or their focus how can we really help someone do this and, and really figure out what their big why is? Mm -hmm. The biggest thing that I would tell someone who's kind of feeling those discomfort ideas of like, Oh, I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to be. What I would really encourage them to do is sit down and write their own dictionary. And what I mean by that is that we are always told to chase happiness, to find love, to build towards a successful career, but no one ever asks us what those words mean to us. No one ever asks what happiness and success and love and fulfillment and adventure and peace and whatever. No one asks us what those words mean to us. And within those definitions lie our true passions and our purpose and our reason for being here. So I would really encourage someone to sit down and just spend some time, you know, meditate or journal or whatever that looks like for you, but spend some time figuring out what that means. What does that actually look like for you? And from there, then you can start to make decisions about where you want to go. As far as your why, there's a couple key pieces in there. Most people look at the first level and they're like, okay, I want to run a marathon because I want the shiny medal at the end. Done. Okay. 
that's cool, but you're missing two pieces there. The first piece is that is your why internal or external? If it's an internal why, it's something that you're doing for yourself. It's something that gives you some sort of satisfaction, helps you achieve some goal, whatever that is. If it's an external why, you're doing it so that someone else will think a certain way about you. So mm. I'm going to lose weight because I want my partner to think I'm more attractive, for example. The problem with external whys is that you're going to put in all this work. Maybe you're going to change your life in the way that you want to, but there is no guarantee that your partner is going to think you're any more attractive at a different weight. You cannot change the opinions of other people by changing your own life. Mm. And so those whys are going to fall flat when you really need them to. This third and final piece of the why is that you need to tie it into something deeper. Sure, running a marathon for a shiny medal is cool. I love shiny medals. I'm staring at a shiny medal right now. But there needs to be some sort of emotional tie. Running a marathon for confidence and for the ability to know that you can do hard things and for strength, that is so much more motivating than just that surface level materialistic shiny medal. Mm -hmm. So to recap, if you can figure out why you want something, if you can verify that it is internal instead of external, and if you can tie it into a deeper emotion or passion or feeling, that's going to be your strongest why. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I guess attaching that to that feeling, it almost goes as the same thing as manifesting, right? Like you, it's like you have to have that deeper connection with it to really even want it. You know, it's like you, you can say you want something, but if you're not like feeling the emotion behind really wanting it, is it really going to transpire? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And it's so funny you bring up manifestation because that's something that I've been learning more about over the past couple months. Mm-hmm. And I will be the first to admit, I was the biggest skeptic when I first heard about it. I'm like, witches belong in fairy tale books. Magic doesn't exist. <laughs> like this is not happening. And the more that I learn about it, it's like, oh, okay, this is making some sense here. I'm kind of seeing how this pieces together. And you find little bits of proof here and there, and you start to just feel happier and feel lighter and start to integrate some of these concepts into your life. And it's, it's really powerful, but I will in no way claim to be an expert on any of that. That's something I'm enjoying learning more about. Yeah. It sounds like it. I know you have a new book coming out, right? Yes. At the time of recording, it's coming out in exactly two weeks, which is completely surreal. And I'm still panicking a little bit, but it's really exciting. Ah, Okay. Well, tell us all about it. Yeah. So it is called How to Heal. And it looks at nine natural and integrative therapies that are really, really powerful in the trauma healing journey. So the first part of the book talks about kind of trauma in general, some of the psychiatric diagnoses surrounding it, what it looks like in your life. And then it moves into details about the nine different therapies. So it looks at what the research surrounding them is, how it works, why it works, what you can expect when you walk into a day of therapy like that, um, and then where to find licensed professionals in that field. And then it ends with a couple chapters on things like um, what to do after you finish healing from trauma. So, okay, you did that. What's next? And then also how to safely and successfully support someone else who's healing. Now, at the time of recording, like I said, this comes out in two weeks, which is going to be May 5th. So if you're listening to it and it's already out, it's going to be available on all major platforms, ebook, paperback, and potentially audiobook as well. So definitely go check that out if you or someone you know is healing from trauma or if you just want to learn more about trauma healing therapy. Oh, it sounds so good. And where is it available? We can go to your website or... Yeah. So the best way to get in touch with it right now is I'm actually offering the first three chapters for free. You can just go ahead and download those. And that's at jessiebuyerinternational.com forward slash chapters. But I'll make sure to link to the actual book when it comes out on my social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and then on my website as well. Beautiful. And where can our audience go to connect with you on social media? 
Yes. So I am on Facebook and Instagram at Jesse Buyer International. That is Jesse with an I and Buyer with a B E. And yeah, I'd love to connect with you. Feel free to just shoot me a message, send me a picture of your dog, whatever that is. I'm happy <laughs> to connect with you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I will link all of that in the episode notes. Congratulations on your book launch. But I think by the time this airs, it'll be launched by like two weeks. So I'll definitely be sure to link everything in those show notes. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your light. I love the work that you're doing and it is so needed in this world. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. Of course, Jesse's book launched about two weeks ago and I've linked it as well as her social media channels on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. If something resonated with you today, I'd love to hear about it. Share your feedback with me by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or find me on social media at MindBizLife. I'll see you back here on Friday for an episode of Fuel Your Life Friday. But until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.